0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, those of you that are watching online. Glad that you're with us as well. I uh, hope you're having a, a good weekend so far. Uh, and Before we dive into uh, the last uh, message in our Nehemiah series, uh, which has been a, a fun series. Hope it's been fun for you. It's been fun for us that have been teaching. Uh, but before we dive into the last part of our Nehemiah series, I wanted to remind you that next week it's Easter. You probably knew that. Uh, next weekend we have a really uh, just a special weekend planned. So it starts next Friday night with a Good Friday service at six thirty, and so we'll be right in here. We'll have communion. Uh, it's going to be a good time, about an hour long service. And then on Sunday, uh, we'll have actually two services. So if you come at the normal time, you're either going to be a little late or you're going to be really early. So you can do, choose what you want. But 9:30 and 11 uh, are our service times. And on your way out, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, pick up a few invite cards. Uh, this is a great time to invite people to church, and, and these cards are, are great for that. I know our team outside, you saw some new guys out there doing some parking things. They're, they're working hard to get ready for next weekend. And so thank you for being patient as you were getting parked today. Uh, we're trying to prepare for uh, what's going to happen next week, and it's going to be a good time. And so, uh, so next weekend, 9.30 and 11, uh, invite somebody to be with you. It's going to be a very special time together as we celebrate uh, what we're all about. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave, and that's what gives us life. It's what takes care of our sin. It's just it's that the foundation of everything that we do uh, as a local church. This past week, uh, our staff we started uh, reading through a book, uh, and you maybe you've seen this book. It's called Canoeing the Mountains. Uh, this is a book that uh, it follows, it's a leadership book that teaches kind of adaptive leadership and it uses uh, it uses the illustration of Lewis and Clark and kind of their adventures uh, as kind of the illustration that goes through the whole book and it uses their story to teach different principles. And if you're not familiar with Lewis and Clark, uh, basically what they were trying to do is they were trying to find... a a, a route to the pacific ocean a water route to the pacific ocean and so man they had prepared to canoe they were good at that and then when they thought they were going to find the pacific ocean they looked and they found the rocky mountains and people that for 300 years had said those mountains are just like the mountains on the east side of the country they realized all those people were wrong and they had to learn how to climb mountains, not just canoe. And so it uses the illustration of their kind of adventures through the book. And as I started reading through it, we've been reading through it now, uh, just like I said, for a week or two. uh, It reminded me of some canoeing adventures that I've been on. So if you've ever canoed, some of you probably have. Uh, We, we, A few years ago, a staff that I was on chose canoeing as kind of like a required fun thing. And so my wife, Lori, uh, and I, we were put in a canoe together, which is, hey, that's good. We're married. That's a good thing. Some of you are already shaking your head like, I know how this is going to go. And here's what we didn't, we, we realized. We realized that canoes don't go straight on their own. Maybe you thought they did. Maybe you thought, oh, you just kind of get in, do your thing, and it just goes straight. Well, we didn't, we didn't get that right away, and so you can probably you know, kind of follow the story pretty easily. Uh, we basically it took us maybe about half of our canoeing trip to figure out how to go straight, and until we figured out how to go straight, we veered into trees that had spiders. We almost tipped the canoe several times. I mean, we drifted all around. We saw every portion of that river, even though we didn't want to, uh, because, man, we were trying to figure this thing out. And, and if you're not careful, if you just kind of let it go, you're going to drift, and as much as it would have been good for you to have a camera out there, you'd probably win $10,000 on a, a funniest home video thing if, as you were watching us. And we stayed married uh, after that thing, which it was a little shaky there, a little while going into some of those trees with spiders. Uh, you probably would have laughed at us screaming, not at each other, but screaming because we were scared of spiders. But but we realized that, man, you you drift even when you don't mean to. and And... That illustration is really an illustration. Maybe you've never experienced that in canoeing, but it's really an illustration of every single area of life. And here's what I mean no matter who you are, no matter if you're a person that's religious or whether you're someone who's skeptical of religion and Jesus, you're not sure what you believe, no matter if you're a really disciplined person or if you're a little bit more of a free spirit. It doesn't matter who you are. Here's the fact. No one drifts towards good. Like we don't drift towards, let's think of a few areas. We don't drift towards physical health. You didn't wake up one morning and look down and say, where did that six pack come from? I mean, I've been eating donuts and pizza. And all of a sudden I I woke up and I just drifted into like this incredible physique no, we don't, we, we, we don't drift into We drift into like all kind of other bad issues for our body, but we don't drift towards physical health. We don't drift towards financial security. You didn't go to the bank last week and, and the lady say to you, oh, did you realize you have a million dollars in your account? And uh, we heard that your mortgage just got paid off too. Oh, really? I, I had no clue. That's, that's good to know. Wow. Okay, good. Like, that, that, that doesn't happen. You don't drift into a million dollars in the bank. You don't drift into, oh, we, we paid off our mortgage. No, there's, there's intention to that. We don't drift towards financial security. We don't drift into a good marriage. Like, you don't wake up, you know, 50 years into marriage, uh, you know, sitting in rocking chairs, just loving the crud out of your wife or out of your husband and think, man, well, that was easy. Well, don't know what we did. I mean, we just kind of got married. I think it was about 50 years ago and we're still happy. We still love each other. You know, like that just doesn't happen like without some intention. And to put it in our spiritual life, we don't drift into looking like Jesus. We don't drift into having a close relationship with Jesus. We don't drift into making an impact for his kingdom. It just doesn't happen. No one drifts towards what's good or toward what is healthy. And there's a ton of examples. You can look through history, both biblical and just other history. You can look throughout history, and there's a ton of examples of this. There's a ton of examples of people that, that when, when they were going through their life, they drifted towards things that weren't helpful. No one drifts towards what is good. And over the last few months, we have been in the story of Nehemiah. We've been walking through the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah and the end of the story is one of those examples in biblical history where we see this play out. And for those of you that are like me, that like you love a good Hallmark movie, you love a really good sappy ending. You love a real predictable ending where you can feel warm and fuzzy inside with your slippers on and your nice blanket on the couch. You're gonna hate the end of the story for Nehemiah. In fact, you're gonna wish that chapter 12 was the last chapter in the book. Because, and, and Josh talked about it last week, Josh kind of walked us through 11 and 12, but there's a 13th chapter. And if you're not sure about who Nehemiah is, we've been studying him for a while. Basically, Nehemiah was a guy who was called by God to go from where he was working for a king to go back to Jerusalem, which was several hundred miles from where he was. He was called to go back there and help them rebuild the wall, help them kind of rebuild their city, to help them have hope. And he did that. He went back and he led the rebuilding of the wall. It took him a 52 days to do this it was an amazing work after they were done rebuilding the wall we've been kind of studying this not only did they rebuild the wall but they kind of used this opportunity to spiritually reset they they had the word of god read to their whole kind of city they listened to god's word they they saw what god had done in their history and they rejoiced they saw where they had been unfaithful and they kind of owned their sin and they tried to get those things right And then just a few weeks ago, they made a very specific covenant with God. After years of unfaithfulness, after years of like a train wreck for a nation, after years of slavery because of their bad decisions, they made a covenant with God. And they covenanted a few specific things. They they committed to God that they were not going to allow their children to marry someone who served a different God. That was a covenant. That was a promise they made to God. They, were also, they also promised God that they were going to set aside the Sabbath day and, and use that day to rest and to reflect on their relationship with God. They, they made that commitment. And then the last thing they committed in that covenant was that they were going to give their first and their best of their resources to God. And so they made that covenant And chapter 12, it ends with them celebrating the work of God. And man, things are awesome. But after the events of chapter 12, Nehemiah, who has been in Jerusalem now for about 12 years, he takes a trip back to see the king that he had previously worked for. He probably gives the king a report We don't know if he was there a few months or a few years. It wasn't a ton of time, but it may have been a few years. And chapter 13 lays out what happened while he was gone and what he found when he returned. And in this chapter, we're going to hear just kind of very clearly how no one drifts towards good. And we'll see that. So chapter 13, verse 4, it says this. Now before this, the priest, Eliashib, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of Tobiah. So, so this guy was put in charge of the areas where they kept offerings, and that was kind of his job. And then he was a relative, and if you've been following the story of Nehemiah, you'll recognize that, that name, Tobiah. Tobiah's not a great guy. Tobiah's a guy that has done everything he can to stop the progress of what Nehemiah and the nation were doing. And, and so this guy, Eliashib, he's a, he's a friend, or he's actually a relative of Tobiah. And, and, and let's go on and see what happens. It says, he prepared a large room for him, where they had previously stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tents of grain, new wine, and fresh oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, along with the contributions for the priest. And so here's the bottom line. Eliashib must have owed Tobias something, or he just was trying to be helpful. So he basically gives Nehemiah and kind of the, the city of Jerusalem, their, one of their greatest enemies, he gives him a room in the temple. He gives him the room where all the offerings are kept. Like, hey dude, come on in, beautiful temple. This is your space. Put the TV up wherever you want it, man. This is your spot. And as Nehemiah gets back in verse 7, it says this, it says, Then I discovered the evil Eliashib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. So real quickly, Nehemiah gets back and he realizes what in the world is Tobiah doing in the temple? Like, why are we giving this guy a room to stay in? This is a guy that wants nothing but bad for our nation. This is a guy that's tried to stop us at every single spot. he's, He's done that. I mean, it would be like, I know it's baseball season now. It would be like the San Francisco Giants manager putting a Dodger staff member in charge of the equipment room for the Giants. Like, like if you're a a Dodger and you're a giant, like that's, you just wouldn't do that. I mean, like that's not going to happen. The Dodgers, if you're a diehard Giants fan, the Dodgers are the enemy and vice versa. And it would be like you saying, hey, come on, we'll we'll let you just take care of our equipment. And man, we want to kind of let you in like you just wouldn't do that. And that's what this guy did. And so you can imagine that, man, Nehemiah is not a fan of what has just happened. And so here's what it says in verse 8. Nehemiah, he he, he gets a little crazy. He says, I was greatly displeased, and I threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. So Nehemiah, he is livid. And he makes it clear by, like, I'm dumping all his stuff out. I'm taking it all out. So he clears the room, he gets it all out of the temple, he purifies the temple, but the bad news doesn't stop there. So I mean, that would be bad enough. Nehemiah gets back after time with the king and he sees his enemy in the temple, that would have been tough. But it gets worse. It says this in verse 10, I also found out that because the portions or the offerings for the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites... And the singers performing the service had gone back to his own field. Therefore, I rebuked the officials asking, why has the house of God been neglected? I gathered the Levites and singers together and I stationed them at their post. Then all of Judah brought a tenth of the grain, new wine, and fresh oil into the storehouse. And so, Nehemiah is already, you know, probably you know in a bad mood because he finds Tobiah hanging out in the temple but then he realizes you know who's not in the temple the Levites the the people that are supposed to be kind of in charge of all the worship all the sacrifices they're the the spiritual leaders that that man their whole life is is around you know helping that city and nation worship and they, they go through all of that stuff and and because the people had stopped giving their first and their best, the Levites, man, they had to make a living. They had to feed their family. So they left the temple and they went back and became farmers again. And so not only is, did Nehemiah find Tobiah, his enemy, like living up in the temple, but he finds out that the worship and the let's put God first and, and, and all that, it stopped. Because the people that are in charge of all that, the people that organize all that, the people that lead all that, they're they're living somewhere else. They're not even there anymore because they had to go feed their own families because the people that had promised to give their first and their best had stopped. They had broken their covenant with God. And so Nehemiah, while he's kind of, you know, back in the city, he begins to realize very quickly that the Jewish nation did not drift towards pleasing God while he was away. But then, look what else he saw. It says, so put yourself in his shoes. I mean, you've just literally given the last 12 to 15 years of your life to help this city rebuild, you've led them in kind of a spiritual revival. You've led them in setting up their nation. Like, you've, you've led them really well, and things are going really well, and I mean, it's good. And then you leave for a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years, and you come back. And you wanted to come back. You 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 asked the king, hey, can I go back? The king gives you permission to go back. And you found that the people that were following God and doing the right things have veered to basically breaking every promise that they had made to God. Verse 15 tells us about one of those. It says, At that time, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. So they had made a decision and made a commitment to God because God had told them, hey, I want you to work for six days and then I want you to trust me and I want you to give me that seventh day. I want you to rest. I want you to reflect on your relationship with me. It's very important to me. God's made this so clear to them. And they, oh yes, we'll do it, God. We'll we'll obey you. We will trust you. We will work six days. And then we will not work that seventh day. We're going to set aside that day to rest, to reflect on you. And now as Nehemiah, he's going around the city, he's beginning to realize very quickly that the Sabbath looked like every other day. It says this, they were also bringing in stores of grain and loading them on donkeys along with wine, grapes, and figs. All kinds of goods were being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I warned them against selling food on that day. It says the Tyrians living there were importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem. I mean, so this is like a big business day. Man, forget the Sabbath. Forget what we promised God man, we are, we are getting after it on the Sabbath day. There's people coming in the city selling stuff. I mean, it's, it's one of the busiest days of the year. Or, or, and and it, 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 he goes on and he says this. He says, I rebuke the nobles of Judah. And I said to them, what is the evil that you are doing? You're profaning the Sabbath. Basically, he's like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Didn't your ancestors do the same so that our God brought all this disaster on us and on this city? And now you are rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Nehemiah's like, we've, we know how this story ends. We, we've watched this happen. Don't, don't you remember where we all were about 15 years ago? Remember how we were enslaved? Remember that the walls were broken down? Remember when we were hopeless? And it was all because our ancestors had not trusted God. They hadn't obeyed God. They thought their way was better. And we found ourselves in a mess. Do you guys remember that? And we're, we're going down the same path. What are we doing? And so Nehemiah, he's not one to just kind of confront He confronts, but he also tries to help them change. I mean, you have some people in your life that, man, they will flat tell you when you're wrong, but they won't help you get right. Nehemiah wasn't one of those guys. Man, he came strong with his rebuke. He came strong with calling people to better and calling people to follow God, but he also came alongside them, and he's Let me help you. Let me help you put some things in your life and take some things out of your life to help you live God's best. And that's what he does. It says, when shadows began to fall on the city gates before the Sabbath. So here's the night before the Sabbath. He's like, y'all doing some business on the Sabbath? Let me help y'all out. And he, he does this. He says, I gave orders that the city gates be closed and not opened until after the Sabbath. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could enter during the Sabbath. Basically, Nehemiah said, oh, we're we're doing business with a lot of people, a lot of people coming in and out of the city on the Sabbath. Well, guess what? We're locking the doors. And I'm actually going to put some of my strong guys that you don't want to mess with by the doors. So good luck doing business on the Sabbath. Let me help you obey God. And you might have some people, I had a mom in my life that was like that, still do. And you might have a, a parent in your life that uh, they appreciate that you say you want to obey God, but they're also going to help you obey God. And, and that was my mom. She was one of those moms that she was not afraid to take drastic action. In fact, it wasn't really drastic to her. You mess around on the bus. Your mama's going to come ride with you on the bus the next day. So that's not a problem for her. She'll take a trip around the city with you. Oh, you're, you're being rude to your teacher? Well, your eighth grade math teacher's going to have another pupil tomorrow and it's going to be your mom. My mom's done that. She flat comes and... My, my poor little brother, I think he's probably scarred for life for this, but he deserved it. He came in his eighth grade math class and his mom was sitting next to him. That's a little surprise. You know, And this is the worst part. That was probably pretty bad. But then, uh, so at a middle school, public middle school, uh, people don't always do the right things in the hallways. My mom's not all into that. So as she was walking my brother to his next class, she was breaking up couples, making out saying, you you want me to take it to the principal right now? I mean, this is, this is my mom. So you, you may have had some people in your life like that, that man, they, uh, Hey, we're we're happy that you say you want to obey God, but we're going to help you obey God. And Nehemiah did that. Good. Oh, you're going to keep the Sabbath? Well, let me help you by locking the gates, putting some really strong men with sharp swords at the gates, and we're just going to shut this thing down. And so that's what he did. And it says this, verse 23, in those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. So they at this point, they were, batting, they were batting two for three. So they had made three commitments to God. We're going to keep the Sabbath. We're going to give our first and our best. And so far, they had not done either of those. But then they had made that third commitment to God. God, we're, we're going to be very careful and not allow our children to marry people who worship other gods. God, we're making that commitment to you. And so Nehemiah's kind of walking around town, and he's realizing, wow, uh, yeah, she doesn't look like she's from here. Oh, what's, that's an interesting idol they have in their yard. I wonder, you know, what junior he married, or she married him, and man, they, what, what happened to the, like, we're only marrying people that worship, and, and it wasn't like a racist thing, it was a, no, don't marry someone who worships another god. And, and when you do that, that doesn't go well. And, and Nehemiah is walking around town and he's realizing, wow, they're three for three. They didn't do that one either. It says this. And, and again, because he's not one to like push it under the rug, he addresses it. It says in verse 26, he says, didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? They're like, he's like, hey guys, get out your, your history book. Uh, get out your heroes of the faith book, get out your old kings of our nation book, and and let's look back at Solomon and how this worked out for him. And, and, And he goes on, he says, there was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Yet foreign women drew him into sin. He says, let me remind you about the brightest king, the most wise king that our nation has ever had. He was loved by God. He was a rock star in the world like he had it all going for him. But then he didn't obey God in this one area. He married people who worshiped other gods and that was the thing that drew him away from God. You guys remember that? Let me remind you. He says, you guys know how this ends. And so Nehemiah, he, he, he just shares with it. He, just, he doesn't put up with it. He, he's seen them drift towards things that are not healthy. They're not God's best. And so he calls them out. Verse 30 and 31, it says this. This is kind of how the, the story ends. It says, so I purified them from everything foreign, and I assigned specific duties to each of the priests and Levites. I also arranged for the donation of wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. And then it says this, remember me, my God, with favor. See, as much as Nehemiah has seen just God do amazing things over the last 12 to 15 years, When he returned to Jerusalem, he realized very quickly that no one drifts towards good. And whether it's an individual, whether it's a family, whether it's a nation, no one drifts towards health, no one drifts toward good, no one drifts towards being like Jesus. We just don't drift towards that without meaning to, without intention. If we drift, we're not drifting towards something good. And they, the Jews were a prime example of this. And, and whether you're a person of faith, maybe you're watching online, or, or maybe you're someone who you're not sure what you believe. Maybe you're investigating faith. All of us, we, we can all admit this. We all have the tendency to drift in our life. And none of us, again, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you kind of believe about faith, whether you're all in for Jesus or whether you're still investigating faith, all of us have this in common. On our own, we do not drift towards what is good. We don't drift towards becoming like Jesus. We drift towards laziness, we drift towards greed. We drift towards selfishness, impurity. We drift towards, I mean, the list goes on. And here's the thing. No one disagrees with this. I mean, you you go look right now at the top 10 business or self-improvement podcast in the world. And even if they're people that don't buy into the Jesus thing, they all agree with this. They would all, I mean, their their podcasts are all about how to set up your life to do things that are right and that are healthy because you don't automatically do that. Neither do I. And for a lot of us, we don't have to look much farther than our own story. Because we've had seasons in our life where we have drifted and we know, man, when, when we had that season or that, that season five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago where we allowed ourselves to drift, we know how that story ended. We know that we didn't drift towards things that were good. We remember that just by looking at our own story. We know that we don't, even in our own story, we, we know there's been seasons when we've allowed ourselves to drift And we didn't drift towards pleasing God and becoming more like Jesus. So if that's true, if it's true that like the Jews, we all drift, the question is, how do we avoid the drift? Like we all drift, like if that's true, that we all drift just like the Jews, so how do we avoid the drift? few things. The first thing is this. It sounds like elementary, but it's so important. We have to decide where you want to go. We got to decide where we're headed. So if we don't have a destination, it's really hard to hit it. And man, I mean, all you got to do is go, go, go swim in the ocean. And you know this, you go swim in the ocean. And if you're not paying attention to where you are on the shore, like where your stuff is, where your family is, you'll look up 15 minutes later you'll be half a mile down because you don't even know it. But man, you're drifting. If you're not paying attention to, all right, here's where I got to stay. Here's the focus. Here's, here's the area that I got to be in. Man, if you just let the waves take you, man, you'll end up somewhere you weren't planning on being. It's just part of it. And so we have to decide where we want to go. We have to decide, like, do I want to have intimacy with Jesus? Am I going towards a good marriage? Am I going, like, are those things that I, that I want to see my life, like, go towards? We got to decide. Because not deciding is deciding. When we don't decide the direction that we're going, and this is, man, what I want to do with my life, and this is f- what I feel called to, and this is what Jesus wants for me. When we just allow ourselves to kind of go, we're not going to end up We hope we would. So, the first thing is we got to decide where we want to go. Do we want to have a legacy of faithfulness? Do we want to have intimacy with Jesus? Is that even the direction you're wanting to go? We got to decide. The second thing, we need to embrace the fact that we will not drift towards being like Jesus. Some of us, and I'm including myself, we think we're the exception. Oh, yeah, that's for everybody. Well, me, I'll I'll be good. No, you won't. Neither will I. Left to ourselves, we will drift towards things that are destructive. We will drift towards selfishness. We will drift towards not being like Jesus. We will not drift towards Christ-likeness, and we just need to own that. In and of ourselves, there dwelleth no good thing, the Bible tells us. And it doesn't say, except for that one person that goes to City Walk Church in 2023, that's the exception. No. We don't drift towards what is good, and we just need to own that. And here's the beautiful thing about that. It means we need somebody else. When we admit we can't do it, it puts us in a place of desperation for someone that can do it. And that person's Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10 12 says it this way Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so we just need to just quit pretending. we can just do it on our own we just need to quit pretending that you know what oh yeah i'll end up in the right place no we won't we'll end up hurting people we'll end up being unfaithful we'll end up making bad decisions we're not going to drift towards things that are helpful and healthy and righteous but then the last thing is this and you see this in the story of nehemiah if we're going to kind of avoid the drift, we need to decide where we're going. We need to obviously embrace the fact that, man, if we're going to allow ourselves to drift, we're not going to drift towards Jesus. But here's the third thing, and I think this is so important. We need to build into our life, your life and my life, spiritual accountability. And that's kind of what Nehemiah was for the Jews. He was the guy that meant he held them accountable. He helped them. See, when I talk about spiritual accountability, I talk about people that will walk with us towards spiritual health. Our church mission statement is we want to walk with people into a growing relationship with Jesus. I love that statement because when I I imagine that statement and I think of the word walking, I think about doing it together. Like nobody's way ahead, nobody's way behind. No, we're walking together towards something. A growing relationship with Jesus. There's no all-stars, there's no perfect people, there's no like... No, 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 we're walking together arm in arm towards something. A growing relationship with Jesus. And that's what spiritual accountability is. It's, It's having people in your life that will walk with you, that you walk with towards health, towards good, towards righteousness. It means that, man, there's going to be times where they're going to call out sin in your life. And you might call out sin in theirs, similar to what Nehemiah did. But, But instead of taking it personal, what we should do is we should thank that person for loving us enough to talk to us about a hard thing. But you know this just the way I do. A lot of people like to call out sin. That, that's, that's not the point. That, that's honestly not spiritual accountability. That's just being a jerk sometimes. Like there's a lot of people that want to tell you all the things that are wrong in your life and all the things you need to fix in your life and how they're better than you in certain areas. Yeah, there's, there's people that'll do that. That's not accountability. That's just being a jerk. See the accountability happens when somebody yeah they call out sin but then they say I'm going to walk with you towards spiritual health. I'm not I'm not looking down on you. I'm not too be- better than you. No. Yeah, I'm going to call out something because it doesn't please God and I want what God's best for you, but I'm also committed to walk with you as long as it takes towards what God has for you. That's spiritual accountability. And that's what Nehemiah did. He said, man, yeah, these are things that you promised God. And these are things that are going to, we have history that are going to hurt you just like they hurt your ancestors. And so we got to stop doing that. Those are not good things. See them for what they are. But man, here's a plan. Here's some things we're going to do. I'm going to walk with you so that we have what God intended. We live God's best. And here's the thing. And you know this. Whether you're online or whether you're with us this morning, we we live in a fallen world. Like we live in a world that's full of evil. We live in a world that it's pretty easy to drift in. It's not super easy to be faithful, it's not normal. We live in a world that's, man, pretty easy for us to drift in. But here and here's, here's what we need to remember: it is not easy. But it is possible to become like Jesus in this world. And you want to know why? Because a few hundred years after Nehemiah walked into Jerusalem, someone else walked into Jerusalem. His name's Jesus. And honestly, he got a little rowdy with some people in the temple. When he first got there too, he threw some people out of the temple just like Nehemiah did. But then a few days later... He laid on a cross he allowed people to nail him to that cross he took horrible a horrible beating he took humiliation he took just excruciating pain not so that he could be right with god but so that i could be right with god so that you could be right with god so that we could have a relationship with god where we literally have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us, helping us to live God's best and obey God in our life. And here's the thing. One day, he's going to come back and he's going to make it all right. He's going to make all the wrongs right. But until then, because of what he did on the cross, because three days later, after they took him off the cross, he rose from the grave, which we'll celebrate next week. Because of what Jesus did, we now have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us if we're a follower of Jesus. And that Holy Spirit is there to teach us, to encourage us, to guide us, to convict us, to help us live what God wants for our life, not what we want, to help us not drift so that's what god's done for us and it's because of jesus and because of what he did and just voluntarily giving himself that we can leave this morning and we can have hope to be faithful we can have kind of fuel to do the right thing we can lock arms with other believers that none of them are perfect but, but we can lock arms and love each other and move towards what God has for us as individuals, but also as a gathering. And it's because of what we celebrate this week that that is possible. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close up the story of Nehemiah. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here with us, maybe you're listening to this later in the week. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, there's been a time in your life where you have said, you know what, I admit, God, I've done things wrong, I've sinned. God, I I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and raise from the dead. And man, I want a relationship with him. If there's been a time in your life when you have done that and you're a follower of Jesus. Then let me ask you this question. Have you found yourself drifting? Have you found yourself drifting? Just, Just think about it for a second. Maybe you've drifted in big ways that everybody has seen. Maybe you've drifted in small ways that nobody has seen. But have you found yourself drifting? And if so, is there there one step that you could take to avoid drifting and really embrace God's best for you? Is there a step you could take? Maybe for you, it's, man, it's, it's... kind of getting into some spiritual accountability, kind of walking with some friends, some other people that will help you not drift. And you can kind of do the same thing for them. Maybe it's, if you're honest, it's just, man, you just have some pride. And you've been one of those people that's kind of thought you were the exception to the rule. That, that, no, you weren't going to drift. No, you weren't going to go that route. But, you, you know, you, there's other people that would, but you know you wouldn't. And maybe for you, that one step today is just to say, God, forgive me of my pride. God, I want to humble myself. I want to become desperate for you, not just desperate for you as it relates to my eternity, but desperate for you as it relates to obeying you and becoming like you every day of my life. What one step? Maybe this morning you just want to take some time while our band plays, and you just want to spend some time in prayer and just talk to God about the step you want to take. Maybe you'd like somebody to pray with you, and if so, we have Victoria and Matt down front. They're here to just serve you, to pray with you. They'll be here during the song, and they'll be here after as well. Maybe you're here, or you're watching online, and you say, Chris, I don't have a relationship with God. I'm maybe investigating faith. Maybe you were hurt by the church and you walked away and and you're kind of trying to kind of come back investigating again. Well, if that's you, I mean, I just want to tell you that God loves you. God loves you and, and he wants a personal relationship with you. It's why his son came. It's why his son lived 33 years on earth and never sinned, but then went to the cross and paid for the sins of all mankind. It's why his son rose from the grave. Because he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want sin to stop that or hinder that relationship. He wants to come into your life, transform you, and give you a home in eternity with him if you're here and you'd say, Chris, man, I I want that. Maybe you're watching online. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't have all the answers, but man, I want what you just said. I want a relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, wherever you're at listening to this, if that's you, just between you and God, you can tell God that. We call it prayer. It's about telling God what we believe in our heart. Just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching, just tell God that. Tell God, God, I admit to you I've sinned. God, I admit to you I've done things my way. Just tell him. Put it in your own words. And then tell him, God, I I believe Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose from the grave for me. I believe that. And then just invite him. God, I, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. If you're here or you're watching online and, and today you made a decision to follow Jesus, start a relationship with God, we would love to celebrate with you. are watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision card right there you can fill out we'd love to know about your decision and and just maybe call you once this week and just rejoice with you answer any questions you have maybe you're here this morning with us and you made a decision to follow Jesus there's a decision card right in front of you you can fill that out tell us about your decision maybe if you have questions write a question on there and then just drop it in the offering basket on the way out or take it to the next steps table And man, we'll follow up this week. We'd love to connect and just help you in your relationship with Jesus. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your son walked into Jerusalem knowing what he was walking into. And he did it because he loved us. In Jesus' name.